Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, actually he's leaning, uh, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. Oh, very nice. Doppler effect. I liked that. I, I didn't know why you were really, see, we, we don't talk about that. We, you know, if there's a gimmick, we wait and yeah. find out what it is because yeah. it's more fun that way. Yes. Yeah, so we're, today are going to talk about, uh, it was something that Chris actually suggested. He had seen an article, uh, that the BBC had published upon their website about, uh, a pretty cool concept. And it's not a new concept, no. but it's, but it's, um, an, an interesting one, vacuum trains. Yeah. I, um, I've always loved trains. I don't know what it is exactly about them that I love. But, you and uh, Disney. Yeah, that's true. Well, actually, a lot of the early Disney engineers liked them, and um, yeah, they they showed up a lot in those uh, in the the Disney uh, wave of the future sort of things, and and others too. You know, uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. and I have talked about this cartoons that talk about what's going to happen in the future. Usually, um, they throw in some funny twist about it, but um, uh, yeah, Tomorrowland. This is kind of a Tomorrowlandy. Concept, yeah, it's um, not too far off from the whole monorail, although different, different yeah. method of propulsion. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I, I've been interested in, in magnetic levitation trains, maglev trains, for quite some time, um, and it's one of those things that uh, you know, it's not that it's so complex that it can't be done. It's more that it's so expensive, yeah, that it's just really hard to do. And and vac trains or vacuum trains or another, they're actually. Related, they're pretty closely related in yeah. some ways. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to have. All right, maglev trains are not vacuum trains by definition, but necessarily. That's right. And vacuum trains do not necessarily have to be maglev trains. Although they 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 can be vacuum trains that are maglev. Yes, yes, you can have you can have both, but they're not necessary for this for this system. They're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Uh so what is a vacuum train? Well, you know, the name kind of gives gives it away. What you do is you the idea is you take a tube, mm-hmm. you pump the air out of that tube creating a vacuum, and then you allow a train to go through the tube and uh because you've pumped the air out, you have removed the problem of air resistance. Right. Because when a train travels, Normally, mm-hmm. above ground, yeah, or even below ground, if it's not a vacuum, it's pushing air ahead of it. Yes, that that requires work. Yes, it you know, does. That, that air, even though air does not feel like we don't really necessarily think of air feeling uh, like there's a lot of resistance there. If you've ever been outside in a heavy wind, you know that it takes work to just stand upright. Well, yeah, anybody who's uh, skated or uh, ridden their bicycle. Uh, at a brisk pace. Yep. Um, you know, you feel the the wind in your hair and on your face, or, or somebody actually who's ridden in a convertible. Yeah. Uh, especially in the back seat, you're going to feel um, the wind pushing on you. you yeah. Know, it, it's it's like it, it's creating its own little wind. So you know that's you know wind resistance. You, yeah. You know that of course there are uh, there are companies that dedicate themselves to finding new ways to reduce air resistance so that uh, so that various things can move faster. With less uh, problems of the air impacting them. Yeah. Well, well, bullet trains. You know, uh, we we've mentioned them a couple times. I think on the 
the uh, podcast before, mm-hmm. they you know if you've seen one of these uh, trains, they go very very fast, but they are also uh, extremely streamlined. Yeah, the engine is uh, you know, and that's I think why they call them a bullet train is because they have a, a pointy nose on the front. Yep, which is designed to cut down on wind resistance. Yeah, it's all it's all part of the plan, and so uh, plan. the. By using a vacuum, you remove the air. So now you don't have to worry about air resistance. There's also, by the way, uh, a tendency when a train is pushing air in front of it, it's also creating this sort of um, uh, vacuum effect on its own. There's, there's, because mm-hmm. it, it's pushing air out of the way and then the air has to rush in to fill up that space again. It actually starts to pull a bit on the train. So the train's pushing air ahead of it and being pulled by air behind it. So uh, it's doing work that way by pumping all the air out you have removed that uh, that that force acting upon the train and it can move at a faster rate than it could if air were a factor mm-hmm. because all that work that it would be putting toward pushing the air out of the way can now just be put toward speed mm-hmm. and acceleration so even if you had a, a standard electric train in a vacuum it could travel faster than it would normally travel yeah, and that was one of the things that um, was interesting to me when I uh, really grabbed my attention when I read that article on the BBC website was because um, they were suggesting that if there were a uh, vacuum tube track from Europe to the United States, you could make the trip and uh, a vac train in about an hour, a little bit more maybe. Yeah, and, and then that imagining that versus you know flying across even. Yeah, that's yeah, the, uh, the amazing. I, the thing that got me was the idea of leaving, say, London and arriving in New York four hours before yeah. you left. Thank you, time zones. Just just because of the time zones, you're not literally time traveling. <laughs> you're traveling through time. It would seem because like it. it's still progressing as you're sitting there on the train. It's just that you're going back through the time zones, and so uh, because your your speed is faster than the uh, then the time zones can account for, you would actually, you know, you leave at 9 a.m. and you would arrive at, at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. actually, because it was four hours. So 5 a.m. And, uh, so you have the whole day ahead of you. You know, it's all relative. It is all relative. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of experiments that were conducted over the years to see if this would actually be the case. And it did seem to be so. And, um. It did seem that, that it would have that, uh, speeding up. That would cut down on wind resistance and make it a lot faster, is what you're saying. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. There were there were uh, researchers at MIT that did some tests. They created a vacuum tube and then they shot things through it, like mm-hmm. down yeah. the tube, not through the tube, not bisecting the tube, but down the tube, <laughs> along the length of the <laughs> yes. tube. Yes. So they said they they started with the most um, I think logical thing to shoot down a vacuum tube. A cat. Ping pong ball. Oh. No, hamsters would be the first ant. No, 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 no. You don't want to put an animal in a vacuum no, tube. No, no, no. It would, no. It would die. Yeah, that's um, true. Plus, nature abhors a vacuum. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true because I have never once seen a shrubbery do any darn vacuuming. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yes, so we, yeah. We tease, but uh, we both love animals quite a lot. Yeah, they, so don't do that. They, they started, yes, do not build a tube. An air seal tube, and then pump the air out of it. I think we're all, I think we're safe on that one. Yeah. Okay. So guys at MIT don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, they shot ping pong balls down the tube first. Then they started creating these little mechanical models to travel down. And what they do is they would, you know, 
measure how fast the mechanical model could travel in an in a uh, an air filled environment versus the vacuum environment, and um, they figured that if they had uh, a standard train, they could probably you know well actually a, a, a relatively fast train they could probably get up to about 580 miles per hour, which is about 930 kilometers per hour. That seems reasonably quick. That's pretty darn fast, and they said that it would be about twice as fast as it would be if the tube were filled with air. So that gave the suggestion of, why don't we look into this further? Why don't we look and see, you know, what could the upper limits of this be? And theoretically, according to the BBC article, those upper limits would be about 2,500 miles per hour or 4,000 kilometers per hour. That's what allow you to get from Europe to North America in an hour. Um, and, uh, Yow. yeah, that's super fast. Now you have to do a couple things you need to remember that even in these super fast systems, you don't accelerate to top speed quickly because that would squish you. <laughs> you would be undergoing such yeah. tremendous G forces that it would be at least uncomfortable if not, uh, deadly. Yeah. So the way these trains tend to work is they have a nice gradual acceleration so that you feel the acceleration, but it's a steady acceleration. So it's not increasing on you as time goes by. And then once it hits its speed, you coast at that speed for, you know, top speed for however long you need to. And then you do a gradual deceleration. So in most. Yeah. So not like if you, you know, stopped from ludicrous speed, then you end up. You know, yeah, smashing into the the the, the console the screen or whatever. Yeah. yeah, no, the way it works is that um, typically in most trips you're you are not traveling at top speed for very long. Yeah, because you're spending most of the trip accelerating and then decelerating. It's, you're only at top speed for a little while, and because you're not accelerating at top speed, it doesn't feel like you're like within the confines of the vehicle. You don't feel like you're going that fast. Right. Now you look outside and you see stuff whizzing by and like, holy cow, we're going fast. But without that outside uh, indicator, you feel like you're more or less staying still. Um, same sort of thing with this. Now, to get to that incredible speed of 2,500 miles per hour or 4,000 kilometers per hour, you would need a special kind of train. You know, you wouldn't necessarily be using a train that has wheels. Right. Uh, or at least not relying solely upon wheels to get to where it's going. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> um, and, and yeah. We do need track. <laughs> and, and, uh, in a vacuum, in that kind of environment too, you'd have to, uh, it would, it would be very critical to, uh, have a form of, um, propulsion that would work within that. I would imagine in a vacuum, uh, it would be very difficult to operate a combustion engine. Yeah. Since you would need air. Right. Well, you would probably use an electric engine. You, know, you yeah. use like the third rail type system that a yeah. lot of subway trains and a lot of electrical trains use. Well, I'm speaking from a, you know, it, it couldn't be like a diesel train. Right. Um, couldn't, you couldn't use, could. uh, you'd have to have it completely in, I can't imagine how you would take care of the exhaust. Yeah, exactly. So because you'd have to expose it. I mean, you'd have to have some sort of air airlock system where you could pump exhaust into an airlock, uh, unload it to the vacuum, without compromising the whole system. Yeah, it would be complicated. Is what we're saying. So electric. And that's or, just from my own thoughts. I, I can't imagine how you would do that. Yeah, I didn't. Read it wouldn't be that. easy. Uh, those steam engines would be terrible in a vacuum. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the uh, it's more likely that you would use electric or electromagnetic yes. uh, propulsion. Now, plus I'm sure it'd be a lot more efficient. Yeah. So so that brings us to the maglev trains, magnetic levitation trains. These are super cool, and uh, sometimes they're literally super cooled. <laughs> Cuts down on resistance. I see what you did there. So the the concept here is pretty pretty interesting. The idea is that you use some combination of magnets. They might be electromagnets or magnets. Not, not magnets. Mangots. They might be electromagnets or they might be permanent magnets or they could be a combination of the two. Uh, and you use them in such a way as to make the train levitate so it's actually off the surface of whatever the track is. And that way when it travels, there's no... Uh, it, it reduces all that resistance as well. So you've reduced the the friction that you would have uh, from the track. Mm-hmm. And so it also cuts down on things like you don't have to worry about uh, maintenance as much because you aren't having that wear and tear. You know, the, the train isn't rubbing against the track. The, uh, the There aren't wheels that are starting to wear down over time. Right. Uh, it's not wearing down the track over time. So... Once you get the system in place, maintenance, theoretically, should be pretty routine. You shouldn't have to worry about wear and tear so much. Now, there's going to be some wear and tear depending on the style of the train involved, but we'll get into that. Yeah, the um, the magnets themselves would be put in, in something called a, a Halbach array. That's that's if they're using permanent magnets. Yeah, that's one method. Well, and, and that's very cool. Um, I didn't really understand exactly how this was done. Um but uh, apparently the, the scientist, it's named after the scientist who came up with it, and he, he was actually thinking about it in terms of a particle accelerator. Um, but if you place the magnets in a certain position, it pushes, it, it, it concentrates the magnetic field on one side of the magnets. Yeah. Um, and instead, so you know how you have a north and a south pole. Yes. Um, if you line up the magnets in the way that uh, uh, the good professor came up with, um, it would concentrate this force on one side, thus enabling the it, to keep the train up, and right. that's so it's it's uh, you know toward the train and it it pushes the magnetic field that way, which is a, a really interesting application of a technology from one purpose to another. Yeah, and there there's a couple of different ways of doing this, um, you know, so so like pole repels like. Right. right. So, so North Pole and North Pole push away. Push, push against each other. North Pole and South Pole. Opposites attract. Pull together. So uh, depending on what sort of train you have, um, that will determine you know what, what sort of magnets you use and, and how you use them. So for example, uh, there's a type of maglev train called electromagnetic suspension trains. Mm-hmm. So the way these work, uh, so imagine you have an elevated track, and uh, you have a, a concrete um, uh, guidance beam that goes down the middle of the track. Yeah, and it, and it looks like a, if you were to cut it, if cut that track in half and look down the length of it, like look at it from the cross section, you would see that 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 um, that guidance tr- uh, beam is shaped kind of like a T. Yeah. There are edges that extend out over either side. The train itself wraps around that track. Yeah. So right? it keeps it at the optimal distance away from the 
the magnets and keeps it from, you know, going too far away from it. And the magnets in this case are set north to south so that they attract one another. Mm-hmm. So the magnets are on the underside of the T. Yeah. All right. So the, the you have magnets that are along the guidance rail that are on the underside of the T. And then on the train, the magnets are at the point that wrap underneath the T. Mm-hmm. So those magnets are attracting each other. And what happens is the magnets on the T are pulling against the magnets that are on the train, which lifts the train off the the the, the rail. Right. So you've got a floating train. Uh, the big advantage of this train over um, other systems is that uh, you do not need wheels mm-hmm. for this train. Right. It, it'll it'll just pull the train up once you start it, and then you use an electromagnetic field to push and pull the train down the track. So you know you use a uh, uh, opposite char- uh, opposite magnetic field to pull the train toward the front. Use a a uh, identical magnetic field to the train along the back to push it, and you alternate the uh, the pulsar, the electromagnets, in order to maintain this wave mm-hmm. and to accelerate the wave. Because when you first start, you wouldn't start slowly. Uh, it tends to be pretty. Uh, I just, just, the I just wave, did the wave, a wave itself. of one. Um, so yeah, you've got this traveling field. That's what moves the train down the track, mm-hmm. and um, and it's. It's pretty cool. I mean, that's a, a neat way of doing it. It's um, not necess- that you know. Some trains in Europe use this, and then there's another style called the electrodynamic suspension train mm-hmm. (EDS), and these are suspended above the guideway. But instead of using the attractive force of magnets to pull the train toward this guidance uh, column, yes, it's using repulsive. The repulsive uh, part of magnet, so it's north Ew. to north. Yeah, not like that, but north to north. So, right. mm-hmm. so in other words, you don't have the T there anymore. Mm-hmm. You still have the guidance rail, but now the magnets are set along the uh, the side of the track. So on either side of the guidance rail, uh, on the bottom, and then you have magnets along the bottom of the train, and they re- repel one another. So uh, the train will float above the track that way. Now on these. You tend to need a um, uh, wheels, and once you reach a certain speed, then you start to see the train actually lift off. So the wheels are needed at slower speeds, and in fact, the the companies that use this sa- suggest that perhaps this is a safer system because should the entire system lose power, then the train would come to a gradual stop with these wheels mm-hmm. so you wouldn't have a jarring crash which you know in general terms as far as we're concerned in travel is a bad thing yes it's not so much the traveling it's the stopping at the end there you go so uh yeah they the older electrodynamic suspension trains used cryogenically cooled superconducting magnets mm-hmm And the reason for that is what I was saying before. When you cool down an electromagnet, you reduce resistance. Mm -hmm. So you make it a much more efficient system because, you know, resistance means that you're losing a lot of of, uh, energy due to heat. Yeah. So by cooling this really, really low, you've actually reduced the resistance within the system itself, makes it very efficient, Uh, does make it very expensive. It's not cheap to super cool stuff because you have to get hold of – Pretty rare 
elements in some cases in order to get the uh, electromagnetics really cold. Yeah. Uh, now, you're not getting them as cold as, say, in a particle accelerator. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Large Hadron Collider, they use liquid helium to get those electromagnetic magnets as cold as they possibly can. So they're just they're just uh, a little bit over zero Kelvin, where you have no molecular movement at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't need liquid helium <laughs> in these systems. It doesn't need to be quite that cold. So uh, they probably use something more along the lines of like liquid nitrogen, which mm-hmm. does not get as cold as liquid helium does. Now, uh, then eventually that system started to get replaced by the permanent magnet system that you were talking about, the, 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 uh, the Halbach array. Right. And uh, but it's it's using the same general principle, where it's using the repulsive force of the magnets in order to make the train levitate, as opposed to the attractive uh, force. And um, yeah, the that's the main difference between the various kinds of maglev trains. The end result is the same. You get the train levitating above the track, and your speed is really limited just by how quickly you can. Manipulate the uh, the the magnetic wave mm-hmm. that pulls and pushes the train. Yeah. So the faster you can do that, the faster the train's going to go. Uh, and if you eliminate air resistance by putting it in a vacuum tube, then you've suddenly created a really really fast means of transport, which could revolutionize not just consumer travel but also shipping. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can imagine, you know, you've, you've really cut down the amount of time it takes to get goods from one part of the world to another, assuming that they are connected by these, these, um, these tubes. Yeah. One would imagine too that the, uh, this mode of transportation would be more environmentally efficient than using, you know, a lot of fossil fuel to make this happen. You course, do it depends s- on how you're creating the energy for the electromagnets. Right. But, exactly. Exactly. Know. Yeah. If you, you do have to figure out, however, how the, the electromagnets themselves are powered. Um, and, you know, if you're using the Halbach array, then you've taken some of that out by using a lot of permanent magnets. You still have to create some sort of propulsion. So you're probably still using electromagnets at least to propel the train. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, you would, you know, you're not using, you're not necessarily burning the same amount of electricity that you would need or creating the same amount of electricity you would need in order to power, say, an electric train. Yeah. Um, now, there are other things that we need to talk about as far as vacuum trains go, mm-hmm. like how do you create the vacuum? Right. Uh, now, you would need some sort of pumping station in order to pump air out of the tube. And the longer the tube is, the more pumping stations you would need. Now, the yeah, uh, Because you can't just have it at uh, one end – well – you could depends on the, how, the length of the track. If you're talking about something that's transatlantic, I can't imagine a, a pumping station on one side of the Atlantic that's going to pump all the air out of a transatlantic tube. Yeah, by itself. No, that it would just, take an enormous amount of time. That would be very inefficient. Yeah, it would take an uh, an enormous amount of power as well. Uh, yeah, in general, uh, from what I've read, it sounds like you would need a uh, a pumping station every, oh, say, twenty or thirty miles along the, the tube in order to maintain the vacuum at a reasonable uh, rate. You would also need to have an airlock system in place because you're going to have every time every time the train pulls into a station, assuming there are people on board who want to get on or off, you can't have a vacuum unless no. unless everyone has some sort of environmental suit on. 
which does not seem terribly efficient as no, far as travel no, goes. Not really. Yeah, so you can't have a vacuum at the destination or the origin of this this trip. It would be uh, it would be antithetical to the way we live life, mostly the breathing part. <laughs> uh, so what you would have to do is have an airlock system in order so, for these trains to pass in and out of the vacuum. Moreover, you would likely need to have a series of airlocks so that the train is passing through uh, decreased air pressure over um, over a series of airlock transitions, not just you know uh, full air pressure to vacuum. It would have to go through a couple of different um, airlocks before it was into the true vacuum. So that is another limitation. You would need to have uh, that in place. Also, there's a real concern about safety. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a a vacuum is not, like we said, not a good place for a human to be in. You know, just uh, without without some form of protection, you would you would die. So there's a real concern about things like you would have to make sure that whatever the train was, that it was made out of a material that could be pressurized properly, and that would be uh, really um, resistant to wear and tear. Because mm-hmm. uh, even the smallest fault in such a device could mean disaster. If you had a crack open up in one of those things, then suddenly everything would be blown out into the vacuum. Not sucked out, blown out. Sorry, I was thinking about a movie. Um, and so uh, that that's what we call uh, catastrophic failure. That would yeah. be terrible. Yeah, uh, even – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, even though that uh, from what I understand that these vac trains would not necessarily be in a full vacuum, um, it would it would be close enough to cause you know concern in that department. Yeah. And uh, you would also have to have um, – uh, concern about the propulsion system. You would want there to be plenty of fail-safes there so that mm-hmm. if you're if you're traveling at something like 2500 miles per hour, uh you need to make sure the system is reliable in that it's going to accelerate and decelerate at a, a reasonable rate so that anyone inside's not going to be um harmed by that. And also you need to have a good way of making sure that you're not going to have some sort of catastrophic failure where um, perhaps the power is lost halfway through mm-hmm. and then you have a train stuck in a vacuum between Europe and uh, North America. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that uh, if this comes closer to reality, there will be uh, disaster movies in which people get stuck in the train or uh, a terrorist... Um, they'll they'll talk about a terrorist plot to blow up the tubes or something right, like that, and yeah. people will be screaming. I mean, can you imagine b- traveling in a tube where you can't, you don't even know where you are? Yeah, it would have know. to. The walls would have to be very thick. Right. Yeah, you could theoretically have thick walls that are also transparent, but if you're traveling through a tube, odds are there's not a whole lot to look at. Yeah. So, um, you also know, at that speed, you'd be like, "Hey, look, it's a oh, never mind." Yeah. Uh, you just missed a whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, um, there was a blur. I mean, you could set it up so that, you know, you could design the tube so that they play out some sort of animated scene when you travel by at a certain <laughs> speed. It'd be really uh, interesting to do that. Um, but at any rate, uh, yeah, you're probably not going to have any windows, um, at least not traditional ones. You might have, like, some sort of screens that could display whatever you want on them so that you would have, you know, uh, the facsimile of windows. Mm-hmm. So you, you, it's very – for the claustrophobic among us, it would be a terrifying yeah, ordeal. Sure. You're in a tube. 
where there's very little, if any, air. Uh, you are in a train that's not moving. Uh, you have no idea where anyone else is. I mean, you might be able to – I'm sure they would have communication systems on board, but it would be a pretty harrowing experience should something go wrong. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 definitely one of those issues where when, the more you think about it, the more you're like, there's a lot of points of failure that would need to be addressed before – anyone would feel comfortable writing this system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that being said, a lot of us travel by air a lot. And the more you think about traveling by air, the more you realize, wow, we really had to overcome a lot of problems in order to make this safe and reliable. And yet we've done it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying that's outside the realm of possibility. I'm not even saying that it's going to be uh, as difficult as, say, figuring out how to get a person into outer space and back safely but it's it's one of those things where you know it, i could see why people would be nervous about getting on one right right well you know if, if we've uh figured out how to travel by air you'd figure out that we'd be able to figure out how to travel by lack of air yeah. um and Just uh hold actually, your breath <laughs> it's actually interesting that you should mention uh outer space because one of the applications for this technology, you now there there already are maglev trains out there. They're not predominantly maglev trains, but you know there are there are some, and there are people who are predicting that vacuum trains will be along within the next ten or so years. Yeah, maybe but- a little longer. But uh, they're also talking about the possibility that va- vacuum trains could be used to launch uh, space missions. Mm. Um, which would mean that you need to point them vertically instead of horizontally. Um, but see, here's the thing about electromagnets. They can work that way. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's horizontal or vertical. It just needs the, the magnetic force that you're generating just needs to overcome whatever, uh, whatever forces are holding it back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, in a, in a regular maglev train, that would include things like air resistance. In a uh, maglev train that's vertical, it would rec- include gravity. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be sort of like a, a giant uh, vacuum train gun into space. So, so there'd be a solid tube extending from the surface of the Earth up into at least the reaches of low orbit. Yeah, Dr. James Powell has a uh, a group called StarTram. It's the StarTram Project, and uh, you can visit their website. Um, yeah. Look, look it up. I think and, I think I'm gonna they're, have they're, to. There are there are pictures. Let me put my glasses on. I can't see, see yeah. from over here. Uh, I'll, I'll show. I'll hold it up to the microphone so that you all can see it. But yes, he is proposing that they create a giant launch system, and you know there would be a a tube. It wouldn't be exactly vertical. Okay, uh-huh. it's it's actually at an angle, as you know. I'm showing Jonathan right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they're they're saying that it could be proposed sort of a a, a space elevator with a vacuum train. That, that would, would be, be the weirdest thing to see in the distance. Oh, I'm sure it would. Just a line be... stretching up into the sky, even if it, even not necessarily vertical, but oh, yeah. what a weird. I imagine it would be very expensive. Thing. And, and can you imagine a tube that heavy being supported by, you know, there would be a lot of structure underneath it to hold it in place. And so... clearly that would also be another one of those things that you could imagine being a target for someone who wants oh, to sure. cause a lot of mayhem. Or or a target for someone who is flying a plane nearby, an unintentional target. Yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. a watch out for this sort of thing. Yeah, that'd be kind sort of crazy. Of I mean, I would imagine it would, it would definitely affect things like, like flight uh, routing and things like that. But yeah, it's also... 
Um, I mean, it's similar to our, our episode on space elevators. Yeah. Well, well, we exactly. had a very similar discussion about that. But they say that uh, they propose that it could be uh, able to launch 300,000 tons of material into orbit for less than $40 per kilogram. That's um, and you know, and we've talked about how that's a big deal because fuel costs for getting a, a vehicle into orbit is um, I mean they're they're really really expensive. So that makes it very uh, expensive to get any any particular material out into space. You know, you figure uh, a craft is able to carry X amount of tons of material, yeah, and it and it costs X amount to get the vehicle into orbit. Then you figure, you know, you divide it up, and you're like, "Wow, that's really expensive uh, freight right there." Yeah, well, and and it takes all that preparation time. It takes uh, fueling up, mm-hmm. as we know very well that that uh, you know can cause explosive problems if there are any flaws at all, um, risking life and property. So, uh, you know, the idea of space elevators or vacuum trains to get things in orbit might be a more efficient and more reliable way to do that but uh yeah that's there are some serious technological challenges there to be overcome but fascinating to think about nonetheless yeah definitely and you know it's whether we'll see this or not i'm a little more skeptical and the reason why i'm skeptical i can't imagine why <laughs> here's the reason uh I, i'm skeptical at least that we'll teasing. see it in the united states uh and the reason being is not because of the danger but because it's a massive undertaking that would cost lots of money, although, according to some analysts, not as much as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Some are, argue that it would be uh, more efficient than other versions or, or as, the same expense as it would be for um, other kinds of high-speed rail. Mm-hmm. Well, the United States has not been very good at, at uh, implementing high-speed rail. No. In general, I mean, the fastest train we have is slow compared to the trains in Europe and in Asia. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just one of those things that it's sort of become an afterthought. I mean, trains built this nation into what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, before the trains, we had very little unity as a nation. Yeah. Uh, and then the trains really brought us together in a way that no other technology had. Yeah. However, they're, they've sort of haven't changed in the last century or so. You know, I haven't there haven't been a huge number of developments. There's been the the switch over to electrical trains versus coal-powered trains or things right. like that, but but in general they have not really advanced that much. Uh and the fact that I it's been so it, the fact that we have not seen a lot of movement in the high-speed train movement. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, it, we haven't seen a lot of of development in the high-speed train arena mm-hmm. tells me that while the interest is definitely there and while there are people who are crying out for this sort of thing, it hasn't reached the critical mass necessary to put it into action. There are a lot right. of political issues at stake, oh, sure. economic issues, um, and it's just one of those things where I don't see that clearing up. I, I see the the political process taking longer than 10 years. The technology, I have no doubt that by 10 years we would be able to do this. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could implement something like this today if we dedicated our resources to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Politically, I just don't see it happening within 10 years. Now, it might happen in Europe and Asia where train travel has become a very important way of getting around. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it has been that way for for generations, but they have continued to invest in it. 
yeah. and to continue developing and innovating in that space. Whereas in the United States, the focus shifted dramatically toward automobile industry. Well, yeah, the uh, Americans love their cars. Yeah. Now, uh, if we were, uh, I mean, I would love to be proved wrong by this. Mm-hmm. I would love that in 10 years we have high speed trains that connect the various, uh, uh, cities together. For one thing, it could help reduce air traffic congestion. It could make, uh, you know, it could be a viable alternative to taking, uh, a flight somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, the more choices a consumer have, has, I, uh, I maintain that the more choices you have, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I still don't know that I would be a volunteer on the first, <laughs> first manned trip of a maglev vacuum train. I don't know. Um, I guess it would depend on what I had planned later in the week. Yeah. Just something really exciting. I'd be like, you know, uh, no. <laughs> Just don't put a lot of rolled coins in there. <laughs> yeah. You All know, right. that was, that was one of the first things I thought about when I thought vacuum train. I was thinking about the pneumatic tubes that they use at the bank drive through. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it would be sort of a, a similar effect, you know. The first thing, the first thing exactly I thought the was, thing. um, the, the tubes that the characters travel around in in Futurama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes you sense know. too. Although clearly you wouldn't be able to use a complete vacuum because, you know, that would just be, that would just be a corpse delivery system, really, once you get down to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not, not pleasant. So um, I hope we didn't bore you stiff with this podcast. Uh, this, uh, it, But, you know, it's really kind of a... It's the last time he's going to let me pick the topic. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead right about that. Um, so we're going to wrap this up. Guys, it's a really cool idea. Uh, it's a neat way of thinking about transportation in the future, although we may never see it come to pass. Uh, but if you guys have any topics you would like us to talk about, whether they are transportation related or has something, you know, completely disconnected from transportation, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?